Hi, Crime Junkies. I wanted to give you a quick reminder about the promotion that we're running. If you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating with a written review and sign it with your Twitter username, we are doing a giveaway once a week where we pick our favorite review and give you some free Crime Junkie swag. We actually just did our first giveaway this past Saturday, and a listener named Morgan won, and she got a really cute Crime Junkie zippered pouch, which... I personally am obsessed with. She's been a crime junkie since day one, so it was really exciting. So thank you to Morgan. Thank you to everyone who's been giving us reviews. But I want everyone to know, even if you're not on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate you guys just as much, and we're going to be giving you chances to win as well through Instagram, through Facebook, and through our newsletter. Go to crimejunkiepodcast.com, see all the places you can follow us, and in the coming weeks, we're going to be doing a bunch of different giveaways on all of those platforms, so you'll have a chance to win as well. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crime Junkie. This week, I have a really big case, but a really kind of hard case for Brit and I because it is local. It is still really fresh. We're going to be talking about Abigail Williams and Liberty German who were murdered in Delphi, Indiana last year. It's almost exactly a year from today. It'll actually be tomorrow. The 13th is the one year anniversary of when they went missing and then they were found murdered on the 14th. So more than ever, um, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Crime Stoppers, who is the local organization here in Indianapolis. They're not actually taking tips on the Delphi case, all of that's going through the FBI, but they do support all of those law enforcement officers, so never a more important time to tell you about such an important organization. This episode of Crime Junkie is brought to you by Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana. Excuse me, can I, can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah, go for it. Uh, do you know what Crime Stoppers is? Um, is it that dog, the uh, the scruff, the gruff? Oh, nope, can't sing the song, can't afford the song. <laughs> but do you know what they do? Uh, it's that the dog just kind of goes around and helps solve the murders for the <laughs> state government, I don't know. No, no, not quite. While everyone loves the idea of a badass crime-fighting dog, that's not what Crime Stoppers is. Crime Stoppers is a nonprofit that allows a place for people to give anonymous tips about crimes if they are in fear for their life or for whatever reason don't want the police to know who they are when they give the tip, but they have valuable information. You can do this through phone numbers, online tips. They even have an app called P3 that you can download and submit your tip along with photos and videos. Crime Stoppers is a nonprofit and receives no government funding. So look into yours, see how you can get involved, see how you can help. And if you want more information on Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana, go to crimetips.org. All right, Brett, are you ready to jump into this one? Ugh, this is such a big case. And again, so close to our home, close to our hearts, and so recent right and i'm Um, a couple of other podcasts have covered this and there isn't a lot of information so what i really want to do is i'm going to try as best i can to stay away from rumors and speculation there's a ton of that on the internet and you can find it there Um, this is going to be a one-part episode i really just want to give you the facts and more than anything i really just want people to still be talking about these girls because I still think it's really important that we get justice for them. And I, re- I think it's important because there is still someone out there who murdered these girls that everyone needs to be aware of and keep an eye out for. 
It really is so scary. Right. Delphi, Indiana is actually just an hour and 23 minutes from where I'm recording this episode right now. And last year in February of 2017, it was unusually warm in Indiana, like 50 degrees from what I remember. And from what I'm finding online, and Libby's grandfather remembers it being even warmer, like closer to 60s, because he remembers trying to convince Libby to take a jacket with her when she wanted to go outside. So our story takes place over a Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And the reason I talk about the weather is because normally these girls would have been in school. And I often wonder how different everything would have been if they Mm. would have been in school that day. But their school had a built-in snow day. And for those of you who live in beautiful, warm (laughs) places and have no idea what I'm talking about, um, built-in snow days. So in Indiana, we just prepare for god-awful weather. Um, It's going to happen. It is. It's going to happen. So we build in these days where... If we have snow days, we, we, we make up our school on these built-in snow days. And if we have a beautiful, warmish winter, then we get these days off. So these girls actually had Monday the 13th off of school. They weren't skipping school. And it was beautiful and warm. And so that Sunday night on the 12th, Abby decided to stay the night at Libby's house. These girls were best friends. They wanted to have a sleepover they watched movies they ate pizza they hung out with kelsey which is libby's older sister and just had like a girls night and a movies night both families said the girls were extremely close and they did so much together both in school and out they were in band together and even played the exact same instrument which is the alto sax so i feel like brett this was like kind of us as young kids like bffs we did everything together I played alto sax. Well, like, this is really similar. I was going to say minus the instruments because you played all the instruments and I got through fifth grade by pretending to blow into my flute for an entire year. But it was still like, hey, I have a day off of school. We need to do something because we never, like, that. we never get yeah. this opportunity on a Monday as 13-year-olds. Like, it was yeah. definitely something that right. I remember doing with you growing up. So... That next morning, that Monday, when they had off of school, Libby asked her older sister, Kelsey, if she would drop her and Abby off at the Monon High Bridge. And this area is kind of like desolate, but it's a normal hiking trail. So one of the things I see online all the time is like they were hiking in the middle of nowhere and it's this like abandoned railroad track and why would these girls go there? But it's everyone goes there it's like a historical site but it is a little bit different than a normal hiking trail that we have maybe here in indianapolis or some other areas there's not this designated area to park or where everyone filters in Mm -hmm. one way Um, you basically just roll up to like a trailhead and you can enter in a bunch of different places but it is made specifically for walking and this monon high bridge is a very I want to say touristy destination, not that many people tour Delphi, but right, exactly. So the girls were dropped off at about one o'clock and the plan was to have another family member pick them up in a couple of hours. The family member that was coming, I read somewhere that it was Libby's dad. The plan was when he got close, he was just going to call them and they were going to come where they were dropped off and be picked up. So the next thing we know for sure that happens is at 2.07, Libby posts a Snapchat photo of Abby walking across this bridge. From what I can see in the picture, she's about halfway through the bridge. The bridge is totally empty. 
It doesn't appear that there's anyone else walking. It's not a busy day. And there's really no caption with this photo. It's just her walking. It's like very dramatic like you are when you're 13 and 14. I love it. At 3.11, her dad calls Libby to say that he's getting really close, but she doesn't answer her phone. And at 3.13, he calls her again because he's actually at the pickup location at this time, but again, she doesn't answer her phone. So by 3.30, he's gotten out of his car and he's started to hike and maybe hiking's the wrong word for people who aren't familiar with Indiana. Walking Just through walking. our woods. Like, it's all trails. Yeah, all trails through the woods. It's not hilly. It's very flat here. So he starts walking the path that the girls would have walked. And by 4 o'clock when he's not finding them, he's starting to get really concerned. So he calls Libby's grandma, Becky. And Libby actually lives with her grandma and grandpa at the time. So he calls to alert them, something's wrong. I can't find them anywhere. I need you guys to come out and help me look. And they actually call Abby's mother as well. Her name's Anna. And get her out there to help them look. And so the family starts hiking the trail. They go across the bridge. All the places that they know the girls would normally be but they don't find them. So at about 5.30 is when they start raising the alarms and calling the police. And there is a full-on community search almost Mm -hmm. right away. And this is something that I'm so proud of because usually in cases like this, you can point to all the things police did wrong. But really, I I think they did everything right in this case. They were out there immediately. They got so many people involved. They took this so seriously. And they just did a well, really stand-up job. I remember I live about two hours, two and a half hours north of Delphi. And, I mean, we were getting Amber Alerts. We were getting notifications. Like, mm-hmm. the, it was huge up here by the 6 o'clock news. And we are you know, two or three hours away from where the girls went missing. So they really did a great yeah. job at getting the word out immediately. They did. So they're looking for the girls, and best I can put together from the information that's out there, at about the time that they call the police at 5.30 mark, Libby's phone goes dead. And I can't find out any information on Abby's phone if she had one, but they're no longer able to even try and get in contact with the girls' phones. At one point in the night, around midnight-ish, they have to call off the search because it's gotten just too dark for people to even... Know, what, know what's going on. They're not making great progress in the dark, and they decide that the best thing to do is just to call off the search until the next morning. But at this point, I mean, again, news outlets are already there, and police are saying that they're not suspecting foul play. And even the families, you know, when they go back and talk about it, they believed at the time that the worst thing that probably happened is one of the girls had gotten hurt, and they were so close that the other didn't want to leave them, so they were just waiting mm-hmm. for someone to come help. They resume the search in the morning, which now we're about Tuesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. And the search resumes with canine units, dive teams, and now the FBI is participating. So everyone is out here in full force. Around noon, though, that day, Kelsey said her sister, she's out there searching with everyone else, and she recalls just hearing somebody yell that they had found them and it wasn't good. The girls were found on the edge of the water in Deer Creek, 
which runs parallel to the bridge that Abby was last photographed on, but they're about a half a mile from what I could get on Google Maps, like from each other. So it's not like the creek is directly underneath the bridge. You'd have to get off the creek, walk a ways, but they do run in parallel from one another. This area where they were found was super close to this park and this public area, but we later learned that it's actually part of a 40-acre lot that's private property belonging to a 70-year-old man named Ron Logan. Did they not get that far that night, or was it something that they had searched the night before? Do we know? There's a... There's a lot of back and forth about whether that area was searched or not the night before. And a lot of this, again, is on those blogs where nothing I feel like can be known mm-hmm. for certain. Some searchers say that they did and they didn't see anything. But something to remember is that they stopped searching around midnight. They called in the police at 530. It gets dark here in February. I mean, by six. Easily. I mean, I think six yeah. is even pushing it. Right. So if they were searching, they were searching in the dark. But this kind of feeds into the next part. Um, They did autopsies on the girls the next day, February 15th, and confirmed that it was Abby and Libby that were found. I don't think anyone's really expecting anything different, but they had to confirm the identities. But they wouldn't release anything about the manner or cause of death or whether or not they had been sexually Mm -hmm. assaulted. There have been rumors, again, online about everything. So nothing at this point means anything to me. People have literally given every variation of what could have happened. They've said both girls were sexually assaulted. Only one girl was sexually assaulted. Neither were sexually assaulted. Neither were, but they were mutilated. Like literally everything has been said. And it often gets said with such conviction. Like I don't know how these people think they're so right. It's crazy. But if something happened to them, I think it's unlikely they would have been able to have been attacked where they were found. Because from the time the Snapchat photo was taken until when people were looking was only a couple of hours. So I have no idea how someone would have moved the bodies of these two girls by themselves. They couldn't have done anything to them right there. So my best guess, and it's just a guess, is that they were killed where they were found and I don't know when that was, though, if they were killed right away or if they were alive and right, moved there's, and then there's killed later. No t- because we don't have a cause or manner of death, we don't have an approximate timestamp of death either. Right. Right. So it, it, they could have searched it. They could have not searched it. They could have searched it and they could have been there. Big question mark. There's also been a lot of rumors around the cause of death itself. And again, Reddit and Web Sleuth is a mess with theories and people are so sure that they're right. It's, it's just insane to me. There are people saying that the crime scene was bloody and a mess and they believe their throats had been cut. And then the post right after it would say, nope, there was no blood at the scene. Their necks were broken. And people say that they didn't die at the same time. It's And there's it's all no blown. official report, and so there's nothing to check it against. Right. So it's, I don't know if people are going off of what they're hearing in town, but we all, like, there is nothing to go off of. People do not know what they're talking about. Until we get something from the cops, like, Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that I will trust. The rumor that I did hear most consistently, and there may be some weight behind, was that the girls were wearing scarves at their memorial service. And this is why people believe that something would have happened to their necks. And I think that's why Mm -hmm. they keep guessing at what could have happened. But, Back to what we do know. 
So the same day they do the autopsies and confirm the identities, they release a photograph of a man who's likely hiking in the same area that same day. And you can see this photo if you haven't seen it already. I mean, it's been on every Facebook page, on every news outlet, but we've got it on our website as well, crimejunkiepodcast.com. Initially, the police don't call him a suspect. They just say they want to talk with him because he may have seen something. By the 16th, the girl's story had made national news. They were Mm -hmm. everywhere, CNN, NBC. So on the 19th, they officially call this guy the main suspect and say that he was there the exact same time as the girls. And I get why before they were just saying they wanted to talk to him, you know, hoping maybe that he would come forward to try and Mm -hmm. rule himself out. But he's not coming forward. No one is giving their name. Because even if it was a relative, I can see why someone would be hesitant if it's the main suspect. Whereas you're like, oh, you were hiking that day, dad, and you look just like this guy. You should go forward. And at this time, February 19th, so I was in and out peeking at Web Sleuths. And everyone was going mad with speculation about this picture. Did it come from a camera on the trail? Was it in a parking lot? Did someone on the trail take it? I literally probably could have just gone over there and seen if there was a camera or not. But this just in, I'm not the police, and I'm not trying to get in anyone's way. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, even with this renewed urgency, the cops saying, okay, people, we're not playing around. This is our man. Still, no one significant comes forward. So on Wednesday, February 22nd, the Delphi Police Department, the Carroll County Sheriff, and the Indiana State Police, along with the FBI, hold a giant joint mother of all do you remember this day i remember it like it was yesterday it's so hard for me to even believe this is a year ago we were both on the road this day and yeah they they dropped the bomb like that morning and you and i both had to travel and we were freaking out i remember justin for me was driving you were driving yourself so we'll talk about that later but listening to the press conference on my phone driving Again, through a rural area of Indiana, for me at least, mm-hmm. listening Same. to this press conference about a new possible lead or clue in this case, and just like being completely consumed by this massive press conference that involved multiple law enforcement agencies, I was glued to my phone. And- and I was just dying, like, I I was dying to know what they had. I was sure that what they were going to tell us was they had some big the break in the case. Death, information on how the bodies were found, anything that could connect this case to any other case that was already out there, or a suspect. But what they gave us, I was not oh. expecting. So police reveal that the picture we have of the suspect was actually taken from Libby's own phone. And not only that, they have audio of this man and they release a small clip to the public hoping that someone will recognize his voice. We do have some new information for you today. Uh, It's in the form of an audio file um, from the cell phone that Liberty German had with her at the time. We're not going to play everything that we have, um, but Liberty had the presence of mind uh, to turn on her video camera 
Uh, again, we're not going to be able to share everything with you, but we are going to share this audio clip with you momentarily with the hope that somebody will recognize this voice. And I want to be very clear that what you're about to hear is just four short words, excuse me, three words, down the hill. You're going to hear this played four times. The audio quality is not superb, but there's enough there that somebody could recognize this person's voice. And as Superintendent Carter said, not to rationalize away. If you hear this today and you think, my God, that sounds like fill in the blank, call us. Make an anonymous tip. Tell us who you think it is. Let us investigate it. If it's not the right person, they'll just be out a little bit of time and they'll be cleared and they can go on and they'll never know that you called. But you may tell us who the right person was and you could be the person that helps us to solve this horrible crime. Micah, play the clip, please. Play it one more time. So that audio clip later today will be available on the Indiana State Police website. You can simply go to our website and add the extension slash delphi.htm. There will be information on that website that talks about the reward that is being collected now. Sergeant Slocum will talk more about that, the amount of uh, money that's been raised towards solving this case. And really, money shouldn't be what drives somebody to help solve this. Just a sense of community and wanting to help and to get this person off the street. The image that you see there, the suspect, that came from Liberty's phone. I think many of you had speculated that before. We weren't prepared to discuss it at the time. We had more video. We're not releasing it. It's germane to our investigation. And it's important that we spread that person's voice far and wide to somebody that will recognize who that is and will call us and tell us. I remember listening to this clip over and over again and calling you and saying, what did I just hear? What is this? What do we do with this? Yeah. I mean, so he just says down the hill and I... No, there's more audio. I know they just clipped this little part. I don't know why that they chose this part. I mean, they have their reasons, but of, of all of it and why just this, these three little words. But I have listened to this uh-huh. over and over and over, and I don't feel like I can draw anything from it. I mean, I don't think I know this guy. Do you think it's enough to give people hoping that they'll connect it to someone that they personally know? I don't. It's three words. We're Midwesterners. We have the most amiable accent in the world. People love Midwestern accents because there isn't an accent. There's nothing to identify him from my dad or your dad when it comes to saying these three words, really. Exactly. I mean, that's what I'm saying. He's like no one, but he's everyone I've ever met. So to this day, that's the most the public has gotten from this video taken by Libby and police say that it was taken the video during quote criminal activity 
They won't say if it was captured during the crime or part of the crime, the entire crime, but a lot of people speculate it does because if you watch a lot of these press conferences that police have done, police get really emotional when Mm -hmm. they talk about this video and it's so sad to see. You can tell that this case has just rocked, like, even the most seasoned investigators. Even the FBI investigators seem to be very emotionally yeah. invested and affected by some of the factors of this case. So, right. do we know if she took the video on purpose or if it was just something that she was taking a video of and then this happened? Or is that part of the mystery, too? So, we didn't know for a long time, but now that it's a year later and the more police talk about it, they've openly said that they speculate it was a conscious choice by her because she knew that what was happening wasn't Mm. normal. Her grandma actually said that Libby and Abby, when I say her grandma, I mean Libby's grandma, said that Libby and Abby were both into true crime and wanted to go into law enforcement. And Libby specifically wanted to do some kind of forensics. And she said they watched true crime shows. So she really believed that Libby felt uneasy and started recording on purpose because Somehow she knew that, that something was wrong. Sad. It does. They were they little were crime trying, junkies. Really, like, they were trying to point us to their killer. That's, like, I have full body I know. saying that. I know. That's the thing is, is even the police, like, when they did their big press conference, they just said, you know, Libby had the presence of mind to know that she needed mm. to record this. Okay, so we don't know. We, we assume that she took this on purpose, but do we know where the photo was taken? Was it by the bridge, by the creek where they were found? We know kind of. <laughs> Again, so I'm I'm openly telling you I'm diving into the okay. speculation area. Police have never put a red dot on a map and said this is where they took the photo. I found this YouTube video online where this guy went out and he filmed the entire bridge. And then he overlaid the picture of the suspect on different parts until he found a damn near perfect match. And it's almost at the end of the bridge. So I'm going to post this video on our website for you guys to see as well. If this guy's legit, it would appear that the girls started walking on the bridge, took the picture of Abby about halfway through, and then shortly after that, the guy must have gotten on the bridge behind them. And something that he did, or what he did, or just the way he was, or he said something, made the girls nervous enough to start recording and if this guy's shot is right her video or the photograph was taken towards the end of the bridge and then he could have confronted them shortly after that video was taken when they were off of the bridge and it could have been at that point that he tells them something about down the hill do we know why she would take a photo or a video in this point like why wouldn't you call 911 or even your, I mean, your sister, your friend, a family member, just so they could be on the other line hearing whatever might go down, go down, and alert authorities from there. No idea. And I don't know if it's because she was already on Snapchat and that was just maybe this guy approached them in such a fast way that that's really the only thing she mm-hmm. had time to do. 
if he was threatening them. I also remember being 13 and 14. (laughs) And while I was a baby crime junkie, I also didn't think anything bad in the world could actually happen to me. So I could totally see like, oh my gosh, there's this creepy guy and I got a video of him. And like, oh, I was so close to danger. I can't wait to show my friends tomorrow. But not really. That I... Yeah, but you, but in the back of your mind, you never think really something like that's going to no, happen to you. No, there's definitely a sense of invincibility in your teenage years as a total, to be honest. But especially when you're 12, 13, 14, and just getting that freedom to yourself. Yeah, so I, I absolutely don't think that they did the best they could. And I'm like, thank God she just got what she did when she and was able to. we don't to. know what all she got because we've only seen what the police have released. Exactly. So this guy they have on video, they have his picture, they have his voice, but no one has been able to find him. As of January 2018, police have gotten 26,000 tips in, but they just haven't gotten the right one in yet. So finally, they take this video and some eyewitness testimony they have to the FBI, and they put a sketch together of what this guy could possibly look like. Again, we've got this on the website. If you haven't seen it already, if you haven't seen it, I don't know what rock (laughs) you're living under, but come out, enjoy the fresh air. There's true crime up here. But police have been saying over and over, don't get too caught up in this sketch. Focus on the body. They did the same thing with the voice too. And for a minute, I remember you and I going back and forth. We thought that maybe we were talking about two people because they would say, if you know someone with that voice, but it doesn't match the sketch or vice versa, still call. And they were kind of weird about it. It's definitely the same guy. But what I think they meant is like, don't get too much in your head and don't talk yourself out of it. Because I can see someone being like, oh, God, I know that voice. But I don't like he looks too short. Well, or he look, you know what I mean? Like talking yourself out of something you feel in your bones. And as a crime junkie, you've watched all the shows. You've listened to all the podcasts. You know that eyewitness testimony is not the most secure thing in the world. So mm-hmm. honestly, auditory memory is generally better than visual memory so I can totally see why they made that sort of disclaimer on the audio versus photo of the potential suspect yeah and even I mean as recently as the 15th when they were on Mm -hmm. Megyn Kelly um, the police officer was saying like don't focus on the face like we put this together like he's facing down in the picture what we have a picture of his body type he's like if it were my family member I could recognize the their like slouch or their walk or their body type even if the sketch is a little bit off so really focus on the body type and then I think the sketch is meant more for people who aren't close to the suspect and maybe are walking down the street well the next thing that happens is in August they tell us they have DNA But the direct quote I found on this says, in quotes, at every crime scene, you're going to have DNA. We are still working on identifying all of the DNA that we have there. And this was from Sergeant Holman. After that, people keep talking about DNA, but I'm not sure if they really had the killer's DNA. Because that quote is like, at every crime scene, you're going to have DNA. We're still working on identifying all of the DNA that is there. That does not tell me that so you have the killer's DNA. So this is a pretty DNA. popular trail in the area, right? Mm-hmm. I went to a, a, it's technically a state park 
nearby where, where we grew up pretty frequently when I was growing up. And people camped there, people hiked there, people rode horses there. And I hurt myself on those trails. I hurt my horse occasionally on those trails, not badly, of course. Um, but that all constitutes as DNA, including dogs, dogs who chase rabbits, dogs who chase rats and squirrels. Like, there's a lot of things that can technically constitute as DNA without actually being tied to a case. Well, even aside from outside forces, I mean, when I read that, what I hear is, okay, we have Abby's DNA, Uh we have Libby's DNA, we have the searcher who found them, their DNA, police, like, you have stuff there, you don't know what's relevant. Now, Everything I keep reading after keeps referring back to DNA. So it is completely reasonable to think that maybe I'm missing a quote somewhere. But this is the only one directly from an officer mm-hmm. that I could find. But people do keep coming back to the DNA. When you hear about a murder or a last known location of like a hotel room. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into that hotel room. Or a murder in a public place like a subway or a sidewalk. There's just a lot to process, and especially because this is an outside rural location, there's a lot that goes into that, and you don't know exactly what the crime scene radius is. So, assuming they've processed a lot of this DNA, do we know if there's any suspects tied to it? They say that there's been a lot of suspects, like less than six months in to this investigation, police had already done something crazy, like 300 interviews. They started with interviewing Ron, the guy who owned the property that the girls were found on. He was actually on probation for some DUIs, and he was initially investigated because it was his land. He had to be investigated. But they ruled him out pretty quickly. However, they did arrest him because the day of the girl's disappearance, he was at the city dump, which driving was against his probation at the time. Mm. And he was only a month from being off of his probation, but he blew it. And he had to have been conflicted because I, I can see wanting to lie about something you were doing that you should have been doing on probation. But my uh, but God, if I you had an like alibi, you need to lot, use that like alibi. Telling the truth to break probation versus being a murder suspect is worth it. Oh, for sure. Well... Kind of. He's kind of a dick about it later. Um, After he gets arrested, he is in front of the judge and the judge asks if he has anything to say on his own behalf. And he says, maybe in the future, and quotes, maybe in the future, no one else will be murdered in my backyard. Uh, sorry if it was an inconvenience Uh. to you, you dick. (laughs) Like, he was just, like, a turd. I mean, so a lot of people think it's super fishy. Like, oh, what was he doing at this dump? Like, he was wearing, in some of the interviews, he was wearing this, like, blue coat and a camel hat that people were like, oh, it looks just like the guy in the picture. But police have totally ruled him out. He's also 77. And while police won't give any kind of age range for their prime suspect, I don't think the guy's 77. Because Ron had... Some facial hair too, but it is white. And the guy in the picture has no white facial hair from anything that I can see. While they investigated Ron, they never called him a person of interest. 
The only person to date that they've publicly called a person of interest has Mm. been Daniel Nations. For everyone listening, keep in mind that Britt and I are over here in Indiana. We're fully abreast of what's going on with Delphi and their case, but not a clue as to other random crimes happening in other states, like, say, Colorado. Well, on September 25th, the internet blows up. And I wake up to all these Google alerts freaking out. A man named Daniel Nations had been arrested in Colorado for suspicion of wielding a hatchet on some trails and threatening people. And also in connection to the possible murder of a biker on a trail who had been shot. Already were like axe on a trail, okay, pretty fishy, especially since we don't know how the girls were murdered. We just know they were murdered My husband on a trail started a in the woods. group text for him, me, and you specifically to make sure we knew about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we didn't know about this. He is our own Google alert, though. It was, <laughs> it was, it was good to know. <laughs> good job. So after they released this axe thing, they release his picture, and it was oh like God. if God sculpted him out of clay to match the sketch that police it's had released uncanny. back in July. The, the side-by-side, I mean, I posted it on my Instagram way back in the day. I will repost it. The side-by-side is out of this world. I remember texting you and being like, it's over. okay, we case know is over. This is ends. it. We've got answers. Yes, like thank God we're we're gonna get some closure. Her family's gonna get some closure. And I'm These not girls sure if you are gonna get justice. This, though. And if, though this though he was arrested in Colorado, he has ties to Indiana during the time the girls were here and murdered. Right. So police confirm that they're gonna go talk to him. Like, yeah, this is pretty fishy. And when they go out there, that's when it starts rolling in. Like, all of the stuff that we find out that not only is he this dude just in Colorado with some, like, fishy similarities, but he's an Hoosier, Indiana dude in Colorado doing all these fishy axe things. So his backstory is in 2015, he has to register as a sex offender after deputies say that he hid in the stall of a woman's restroom at a Rickers gas station on US-31 and was caught peeping and pleasuring himself. Side note, been to that Rickers, pass. totally I creepy. I pass it all the time when I again. go to Indianapolis. Like, Yeah. December 15th of 2015 through January 27th of 2016, he served time for domestic assault. And in 2016, he has like a number of other arrests for driving on a suspended license, charged with kind possession of, of marijuana, misdemeanor and then situations. his landlord. Fi- yeah, his landlord files an eviction petition, like nothing crazy. In January of 2017, he registers as a homeless sex offender. After he registers as a sex offender, he has to check in every single week because he doesn't have a normal okay. address where they know he's going to be at and they can go in and check on him. He has to do an in-person check-in every week. And this includes February 14th of 2017, the day that the girls' bodies were found. And he faithfully checks in every single week. His last check-in was in April. And then he stopped checking in. 
July 17th is when the police released that composite sketch. And his parole officer took notice because, again, it's, it's like a freaking picture of him. And on July 18th, an investigation begins into Daniel Nation's whereabouts after he failed to register his new address as part of his program. So police are looking for him. He's definitely on their radar. At this point, no one knows he's on their radar, but they're doing their due diligence trying to find him. And then they get alerted September 25th that he's arrested in Woodland Park, Colorado. And they're down there on the 29th investigating doing whatever it is they do. And when they come back, they announce to everyone that they can't rule him in but or out. But they do officially make him a person of interest, which is the first person of interest in this case. Yeah, but... Well, I, well, I don't understand how you don't rule it's, someone no, out, it's right? It's suspicious, but... Outside of the main suspect, which is currently a picture of a man walking from, like, 50 feet looking down, and a v- audio clip of three people, or of three words, which is the main suspect, this is the first time we've had a name and a face to put as the person of interest in this case. So here's a question I have for you, then. And this leads back to my wondering if they have the killer's DNA or not. If they had the killer's DNA, do you think they could officially rule him out as a suspect if his DNA didn't match? Or if they have the killer's DNA and his DNA doesn't match, are they keeping it open to the possibility that there's more than one perpetrator? Because a lot of people think that in order to subdue two girls, I think you have if to they have, have more the than killer's DNA, they would have ruled him out already. Per- but... I've also watched Law and Order SVU enough to know that there are privacy laws that prevent DNA from being collected from suspects unless they are XYZ. I don't feel like they would have any problem. Especially because his DNA. he's the fact that already he was broken he had already parole. broken parole. He's in another state, he's been convicted of another crime, which includes now, threatening yeah. with a deadly weapon. Um, I think the charges associated with the biker who was murdered were eventually dropped, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but it also seems weird to not officially say, like, he's someone we're looking at. He's someone we're not looking at. But also... Well, he's still considered under suspicion for the biker's death as well. And last I heard, he had been paroled for his crimes of, like, wielding a hatchet. late December or early January of this year, he was paroled. Right. So the latest development, now you guys are hearing this in February. We're recording it in late January. On January 15th, the sheriff's office in a Tennessee town released this notice that the FBI had expanded their search to southeast Tennessee. And while this news is breaking, the family and one of the law enforcement officers from the case were actually being interviewed on Megyn Kelly. And the officer said, no, it's it's a national search. I'm tracking what's going on in Tennessee, but it is national. Like right after the deputy's office in Tennessee posted that, they took it down and then just posted like a general flyer of this guy's right. information and his crimes. But I remember texting you right away and being like, 
what do you mean you're expanding it to Southeast Tennessee? Like, I had the same thought that that law enforcement officer did. Like, I, I thought we were like, looking everywhere. And again, I could be wrong, but I feel like ten- the agency that posted it in Tennessee had to maybe even issue a retraction saying, we're looking for it specifically, but also everywhere else is still looking too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder if, like, something happened in southeast Tennessee like we're only getting a small piece of the story which we're getting a small piece of this entire story like there's no reason for them to tell the public everything right like they're doing what's best for the investigation but it's just one of those things that like perked my interest piqued my interest (laughs) whatever one's right well and you have to (laughs) wonder if something in southeastern Tennessee that we haven't figured that we haven't stumbled across yet didn't cause southeastern Tennessee to post something like that Right. Well, so again, when they got this information, they were on Megyn Kelly. And I have to say, just like a side note to all of this, the family's composure through this whole thing has been astounding. I mean, when you and I were flipping out about Daniel Nations, I mean, they were just saying, yeah, I think it kind of looks like him. I can see it in the mouth. I can see it in the nose. To figure out if it's him or not. Yeah. We trust law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, we've, we've, can't ride the roller coaster like we can't get our hopes up every time we trust that the police are going to get this information they're going to vet it out and when it's really serious they're going to let us know and specifically one thing that I found really interesting that one of the law enforcement agents officers said when asked on tv if there were any other mo's similar in the area the officer basically said that they think a person who would commit such an evil crime like this has likely committed the crime before and they will mm-hmm. likely commit that crime again. So, I, it, um, again, am I reading it wrong? Or are they saying this guy's a serial killer? It sounds like it's a serial killer. Um, I know that you and I have talked about, um, I believe it's a pair of cousins in Iowa that sounds kind of similar that is still unsolved yeah so lyric and elizabeth they were eight and ten and were abducted in 2012 and they were riding bikes and their bodies actually weren't found for five months later but so many people have connected this case because the two girls were about the same age ish um the girls in delphi were a lot older but They were found in a wooded area near water as well. And just like kind of creep factor, they also went missing on the 13th day of the month, but it was in July. So on the 13th day of the month, it's not super consistent with that, but the 13th of February was the day before a holiday. I'm all about finding serial killers who have really specific tendencies and times that they act or ways that they act is there anything connected to day before holidays or holiday killings that we know of with the same sort of victim typing maybe okay this is when you can turn off the podcast if you want because i'm telling you from here on out nothing i'm about to say i don't believe that this guy is responsible for the next cases I'm about to talk about. It's just a weird coincidence that we have cases in the Midwest that happen <laughs> before a holiday. So there is a girl named Nevea Buchanan who is five years old in 2009. And she was abducted outside of her apartment complex and then left buried alive on the bank of a river with concrete poured over her. 
the only connection there, again, not connected to this case at all. It's just that she was found near water and she went missing right before Memorial Mm -hmm. Day. So it was right before a holiday and she was a young girl. And there's another case that I've been deeply invested in lately and going to be doing a podcast on in a few months is another little girl named April who was abducted and murdered in 1988. Yeah, that was around Good Friday, right? Again, yeah. So again, not again, not related to this case. It's not the same guy, but it's weird that these things are happening so close uh, ge- geographically, but right before holidays. Super strange. So I don't know what's going on in the holidays in Indiana and in the Midwest in general, but don't go outside. To go back to the two cousins, police have released a couple of things. They've actually talked to the police there. Um, Lyric and Elizabeth, their families actually reached out as soon as Abby and Libby were murdered because they wanted police to know that this was so similar. They actually never released the cause of death in Lyric and Elizabeth's case as well, Mm -hmm. which was very similar. But police have ruled it out. They've asked everyone to move on. So while they think he's done it before, I don't know that they're able to tie specific cases to him yet. And if they are, they're not telling us. And again, I think they're doing what's best for the investigation. So there is a $240,000 reward leading to the apprehension of the suspect or their prime person of interest. So again, if anyone knows anything, I really recommend going to our site. You can see all of the pictures. Someone has to know this guy. He isn't a ghost. Take a look. There's $240,000 in it for you, even if you don't want to just be a good person. You can get all the information on our website. For those of you who still don't know, that's crimejunkiepodcast.com. And remember to come back next week for a new true crime story. Crime Junkie is written and hosted by me, all of our sound production and editing comes from Britt Praywatt. And all of our music, including our theme, comes from Justin Daniel. Crime Junkie is an audio Chuck production. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve?